another thing that I'll never forget. I've referred to it several times to you. First pastor, one afternoon, I was feeling a great deal of stress. Believe it or not, there is stress in the gospel ministry. And I was feeling this, and I was coming home, and I got into a traffic jam. And horns were honking, and people were agitated, and there was a lot of uh, stress around. And all of a sudden, I lifted up my eyes, and I saw this beautiful sunset. And I remember it was in a traffic circle, and I pulled my car off onto the grass of the traffic circle. I was crazy, but I did that sunset. And you know what I thought? I wondered how many sunsets I had missed. That's bad to miss sunsets, but there's something worse than that, and that's missing God. That's going to church, doing all the things that we're supposed to do, being very zealous, being very committed, taking care of our families, making it in the world, and yet missing God. The prophet Amos talks about that in Amos 3, 7, when he says, surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secret counsel to his servants, the prophets. Now, Amos said, God reveals himself. Primarily, he reveals it through the prophets in the scripture. If we take time to read it, and not only if we take time to read it, but if we take time to meditate on it. Also, he does it in the body through the prophetic gifts that come to us. I got a prophetic gift not long ago. And many of you know the struggle that we have had with my daughter, an emotional illness. And I have seen a great difference in my daughter since that prophetic word. Now, the ASV in its translation of the Amos passage calls it God's secret counsel. The King James Version calls it God's secret. The Jerusalem Bible, which is an excellent Old Testament translation, describes it as His plans. Another translation that I like that is not as accurate talks about it as intimate conversation. God will have an intimate conversation with you. You can experience God, if you will. He wants to reveal Himself, if you will listen. The Hebrew word secret in Amos literally is the word that means circle. And you could think about it as people sitting around in a circle. Or maybe you're here this morning and you're sitting in this church and think about the Lord just sitting right in the middle of the aisle there, halfway back. And he is conversing with us as we're here. Now the word circle in the Hebrew can also mean more than that. It can mean that which is symbolic for eternal life. It is an eternal communication. And I think this is what Paul is talking about in the first two verses of our text when he says this, 
But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it. I read somebody recently who said, God is going to do great things when we take Him seriously and take ourselves less seriously. Paul said, you brought nothing in the world. You're going to carry nothing out. And so therefore, you are to be content with food and clothing. And then he says, godliness with that kind of contentment is great gain. This enables you to sit loose with things. This enables you not to be against things, but use things rather than things using you. You know, most people, when you ask them, what do you want in life? What do you really want? They'll say something like, well, I want enough to be comfortable. (laughs) That's always kind of amusing. I wonder what that is. How much will it take? To make you feel comfortable. One person has said, just a little more. (laughs) And that's probably true. But see, there's a real temptation. It's called the lust of the eye. That's what the Bible calls it. It's to be enamored of money or things. And a lot of people think, if they just had a little bit more, then they would be content One of the most frustrating things is to talk to a person in retirement who suddenly realizes they have what they need. They've got enough money to last them. And yet many times it's the first time they realize they've been careful. They've invested their money. They've done all of that. And all of a sudden one day they wake up and say, this ain't it. I've got it. And it's not it. Not only is it not it, sometimes it can be a real problem. Now, I don't know a lot of wealthy people, but I do know a couple. And when my wife and I were in Branson, Missouri, a couple of weeks ago, we talked to a couple. They have invested heavily in what's going on in Branson, Missouri. And they have a whole lot more money than I will ever have. And we were talking to the wife and she told me that it cost them $35,000 a day to open one of their attractions. Now you might like to have a lot of money, but how would you like to have that kind of pressure on you every day? And one of the big pressures of money is that it can take your eyes off of godly contentment and what God wants to content you. And this acquisition of things can be dangerous. Look at what Paul says here. He says, but those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. And some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves through with many a pang. 
You see what God, and, and get, get your mind off of money. That's not the significant thing. Because money is dangerous to a lot of people, whether they got a lot or whether they got a little. What God wants you to do is concentrate not on the things of life to give you contentment, but He wants you to con- concentrate on Him in a moment-by-moment way so that you will have this contentment. Paul says, pursue godliness. Take hold of eternal life. Not pursue riches or fame or intellectualism or even human goodness. You're not supposed to be a super saint, a super parent, super sensitive, super anything. If you excel in anything, it ought to surprise you. It ought to be a byproduct of your seeking God, of your resting in Him in a moment-by-moment fashion and let Him take care of everything else. This alone produces what I've talked about as immortal gladness. means to listen to God little by little in your life. You know, Jesus gave a promise in Revelation 3. He said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him. It means if you engage in ongoing hearing of God, then God will engage in ongoing intimacy. Shortly after that passage became real to me, I attended a funeral. And I had made the decision that I was going to listen to God all the time, as much as I could. Instead of concentrating on a lot of other things, I was going to concentrate on the Lord. So I went to that funeral and I took a pad and pencil with me, expecting God to speak to me. How many times do you take a pad and pencil where you go? Expecting God to speak to you. Now, I know you don't, because I know I don't. But I did that day. And you ought to be glad I did that day, because part of what I got, I'm going to share with you, and it's going to affect your life. First thing the preacher said was, that day, he said, let us ask God to speak to us this afternoon. And the realization broke on me. We either think of God in the past, what he did in the Bible. You know, there are a lot of people who don't believe he does anything today. They believe that everything he did, he did in the past. Or we think of God in what he's going to do. We're just enduring the present to get to the future. Am I talking about you? We're enduring the present to get to the future. But that preacher said, let's not think about what God's going to tell us tomorrow. Let's not think about what he told us yesterday. Let's think about what he's going to tell us this afternoon. And the next thing we did was sing a hymn. And it was Martin Luther's hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And I began to notice the words because I was seeking to hear from God. Preacher said, let's hear from him now. And the hymn was, 
did we in our own strength confide, our strivings would be loosing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Does ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabaoth is his name. Now, if you look up Lord Sabaoth, you'll find that it means the Lord of hosts, the mighty one, the omnipotent one. God was saying, uh, or Luther was saying that God is our mighty fortress because he is the omnipotent one. He is the one in control. And so at no moment in your life can you afford to say, God, you're over there. Now I'll get to you in my quiet time, but right now I'm going to handle things. Now I do a lot of that. What about you? What about you? Do you do a lot of that? And yet the Lord of hosts, Luther says, is the right man and he is on our side and at our side every minute. About 700 years before Jesus, just after Assyria had captured Israel, God spoke to Isaiah about Judah to very frightened and insecure people because they knew that Israel had already been captured and they were next. And through the prophet Isaiah came the words to Judah, these words. This was at their lowest point. You know, the lowest point of life is the hardest place to be spiritual. You ever notice that? When you have the greatest need sometimes, it's the hardest to to pray. Now, there's a reason for that, because your enemy attacks you there more than any other place. God spoke through Isaiah, and said, surely, spoke to Judah, surely this is just as I've intended it, so it has happened, and just as I have planned, so it will stand. For the Lord of hosts has planned, and who can frustrate it? And as for his stretched out hand, who can turn it back? When you believe in that, when you believe in the Lord of of Sabaoth, when you believe he is the one at your right hand all the time, then you know good, bad, or indifferent, he can sanctify all of it, even the bad times. And in that funeral, the next thing out of the preacher's mouth was quoting 1 Corinthians 15 when he said, Beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. That means that living in this moment-by-moment relationship with the Lord, it dignifies and adds distinction to every part of your life. Not just the pleasant part, but God's significance is in all parts. Therefore, we don't just exist through certain parts to get to the good parts. That's where addiction comes in. In Leadership Magazine, journal I get not long ago, it talked about a preacher who had gotten addicted to pornography. And he said he felt so much stress and so much strain in the ministry and having to prepare messages and having to preach them that he could only get through it 
If he knew that once he got his work done, then he could retreat into pornography and get his needs met. Now, that's not only true with pornography. It's true with drugs. It's true with extramarital affairs. It's true with all kinds of things. You don't live for the present moment, but you get through the present moment because then some narcotic and sometimes it's materialism. Sometimes it's just accomplishment. Sometimes it's just having everything in order. <laughs> if everything's in order, then I feel good. But sooner or later, mark my words, something's going to be out of order. <laughs> and then it gets rough. Doesn't have to be that way. Because the Bible tells us that even in our most excruciating labor, God can sanctify that. Thomas Merton, the monk, he said that God so enriched him that spreading manure on the fields of the monastery in Gethsemane, Pennsylvania, spreading manure out there, he had a great revelation of the Lord and enjoyed the work. Now, if God can do that, <laughs> he can sanctify anything. That's the reason about 30 years after Jesus, Paul wrote to the church in Colossae. That was a town about 100 miles from Ephesus. And listen to what he said. Whatever you do, whatever, spread manure, putting grass seed out, whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. And that includes for you. How many of you do your work for you? Or do you do it for the Lord? He says, whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. This makes any work exciting, even work that would be monotonous or grueling or lackluster if it's done for Him, if it's done for the Lord. There's something else I won't forget for a long time. About 20 years ago, my wife and I were returning from Israel. And we had landed at JFK Airport, and it was a bad night. It had been raining, and it was dreary and dark, and it was cold. And we were picked up outside of the terminal by a bus and a driver. And this man who drove this bus, here we had been on the other side of the world. I doubt very seriously if he was ever going to be able to do that. But all he did all day long was drive a bus in a circle around the airline terminals at JFK Airport. And the whole time he's driving, cars are going in and out. People are running out in front of him and behind him. It's a very nerve-wracking thing. And all day long, all he does is just drive that bus around that circle. Can you think of a worse job than that? And yet I'll never forget because I wasn't feeling too good. I was tired. We were late. 
It had been raining, had to go through customs, all that kind of thing. And I got on the bus and I was a little gripey. And here this man was, and he was the most pleasant man. He said, well, did you have a great trip? I certainly hope you did. Welcome to New York. And he just went, and everybody that came in, and I sat there dumbfounded, literally dumbfounded, because I saw joy in the place where normally there would be none. And I learned what it was. I'm sure he was a Christian. To tell you the truth, I didn't have much time to ask him, and I was too overawed to ask him. But I believe he had to be, and I believe he had to find out that there was a moment-by-moment dependency on the Lord and a moment-by-moment infusion of grace that could even make the most mundane task glorious. And then the funeral ended that I was at. And the preacher announced a hymn. And we sang the hymn, Joyful, Joyful, we adore thee. And the word says, melt the clouds of sin and sadness, drive the dark of doubt away, giver of immortal gladness. Fill us with the light of day. Immortal gladness, not mortal gladness. Not gladness that is dependent on circumstances, but gladness that is dependent on God. And that's the reason in Matthew 6 it says, do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will take care of itself. Matthew 6, 33. Seek ye first, what? Security. Good things. Being comfortable. Seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these things shall be added unto you. And I don't believe that's do right because it's right to do right. I believe that's seeking the righteousness of God, which is at his right hand and seeking fellowship with him and receiving from him on a moment by moment basis. Years ago, the Lord taught, taught Shirley a lesson, my wife. She was in the uh, kitchen. And we were going through a right difficult time financially and with our children. And she was talking to the Lord. And the Lord began to show her that life was cyclical. That there were times of feast and there were times of famine. And every time you had a time of famine, no that if you trust God enough, that the time of feasting is going to come. And when the time of feasting leaves and you go through some of the hard stuff, take joy because you know that time of feasting is going to come again. But a mortal gladness is more than that. It's more than that. Immortal gladness is having the same gladness in feasting and in famine. In having this intimacy with the Lord. So it really doesn't matter if God be for us, Paul said. What does it matter? What man can do to us? And he was facing death. This makes the words of Habakkuk really make sense. 
Habakkuk said, though the fig tree should not blossom, there be no fruit in the vines. Though the yield of the olives should fail, and the fields produce no food, Though the flock should be cut off from the fold and there be no cattle in the stalls. Now that's pretty disastrous for a farmer. That means not only do you not have anything now, but the animals aren't mating. They're not producing anything. Yet, he says, I will exalt in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. And he has made my feet like hind feet and make me walk on high places. And the high places are the places where you have intimacy with the Father. I want us to begin thinking in this church, not if we believe right, not if we do right, not if we're doing what we're supposed to do, but I want us to begin considering, do we have intimacy with God? Are we experiencing God? As we sit here on Sunday mornings, do we experience His power? And as we walk out of here and we go into our jobs or into our homes, are we walking in the power of God? I'm going to close with this. Dick Robinson is going to start teaching on Ephesians. Scholars believe that Paul wrote that when he was in prison in Rome, and it was probably a circular letter to the churches in Asia Minor. In fact, some scholars don't even think well to call it the book of Ephesians because it was general instruction to all the church, and he was teaching them how to pray. And I want you to take as a backdrop what I've said to you this morning, and I want you to hear God, uh, hear the prayer of Paul that he makes. And I'd like you to bow your head right now, and I'm going to close with this prayer. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man so that Christ might dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasseth knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God.